Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I am your host, Howard Sides, and today we're continuing our study through Revelation. We're completing chapter 21 in that we're in the second section now. Uh, we, the last podcast, we completed the first section, uh, which is where John describes what he does see, or what he sees is the title, actually. And he explains to us everything that he sees there. And then now we're entering into the second portion, which is a smaller portion, uh, verse 22 down through the end of the chapter. John tells us what he does not see, what he does not see. Now, in this uh, section of what he does not see, I can go ahead and tell you uh, it's divided up into four parts. Uh, verse 22, uh, we'll see that he does not see a temple. Verse uh, 23 and 24, we'll see that there's no need of the sun. Notice I didn't say there's no sun. I said there's no need of the sun. And that's exactly what the verse says. A lot of people miss that. <laughs> uh, third thing, verse 25, there's no closed gates. And verse 27, uh, there's no sin or no evil or no impunity, whatever uh, you want to call it, there's no, nothing evil uh, that enters into uh, this holy city. All right, so, <clears throat> excuse me, let's read our verses. And we'll read verse 22 down through 27 since we're starting a new chapter or, or chapter, new section. And uh, then we'll break it down. All right, uh, so Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, so we're starting here with this first section. Uh, it talks about there's no temple, no temple. And, and he says it right there. I saw no temple therein. Now, think about this a minute. Try and imagine this world we live in now. Uh, without any churches, without any synagogues, without any temples, without any cathedrals, or any other type of religious establish, establishment uh, to gather in. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine that. <laughs> uh, they're, they're everywhere. I, I mean, we live here in what's called the Bible Belt in the South, and I, there's two churches of the same denomination, uh, sometimes beside each other. Uh, on the same street or across the street from each other or, you know, one at this corner and then another one at the other corner, uh, various denominations and all that kind of thing. But could you imagine that there's there's nothing, no no uh, worship site, I guess you should say, no worship uh, uh, building or establishment for worship of any kind. Uh, that, that's kind of hard to imagine. <clears throat> okay, so here he's saying there's no temple therein. So that brings up the question, why would there be no temple or other place of worship? Uh, I mean, literally from, from when God 
first uh, talked to uh, Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, and uh, they were building altars and Abraham's building altars. There, there's always something, some site where there's worship going on. And, and even through most of the Bible history, God has commanded that there be a tabernacle or a temple to mitigate his holy presence among sinful man. That was the meeting place. That's where sinful man and a holy God could come together. But now, uh, where we are in this new Jerusalem, there is no more sin. And man and God can fully enjoy uh, fellowship without separation. Uh, we will have glorified bodies at this point. There will be no sin. So uh, there's nothing that cannot be exposed to God. Right now, we have sinful flesh uh, in, in our bodies uh, as a sinful flesh, and it cannot have uh, contact with God, uh, which is holy. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't work that way. Now, because the communion with God and the Lamb is perfect, continuous, and spiritual, this is another reason why there's no temple and no need for one, because the communion is complete. Uh, we can go to him anytime. We're completely spiritual continually. So we can talk to him. So here in this place, our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will meet face-to-face -face with their people. Again, there will be no need for a temple. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face-to-face. -face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. Or even, even as also I am known. Can't even read it. Uh, now, Carrie Ellis Breck, Carrie Ellis Breck was a proficient hymn and poem creator. Now, it is estimated that she wrote over 1,200 hymns in her lifetime. She worked with a man named Grant Tuller uh, to create many hymns in their lifetime. Breck creating the lyrics in poem form, and then Tuller would compose the music to go with the poem. In 1898, after receiving a list of poems from Breck, the first one Tula read was the following poem uh, that, that I'll read to you. He had just completed a new song and realized that this poem would fit wonderfully with the music he just composed. Now, the poem she wrote was called Face to Face, and it goes like this. Face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Only faintly now I see him, with the darkling veil between, but a blessed day is coming, when his glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in his presence, when our banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened, and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face, O oh blissful moment, Face to face to see and know, face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face I shall behold him, far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Um, that's a great song, and... You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we actually sang that song, and it's been in my head before I even got to this part of the lesson, this part of the study, and it just kind of just it just folded together. So wonderful. Now, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Charles John Ellicott in his commentary uh, says this, and I quote: 
The age of the Christian church succeeds the age of the Jewish temple worship. The age of the church triumphing will succeed the age of the church toiling. And there the external organizations, helps, and instrumentalities required for the edifying of the body of Christ will no longer be needed. Tongues, prophecies, knowledge may pass away. Churches will disappear, absorbed in the one glorious church. Ministries, missionary organizations, helps, governments may cease. There God is all. The Lord is there, the temple, the sanctuary, the dwelling place of his people. Even or every merely local aspect of worship is at an end. End quote. Now, the fact that there will no longer be a temple uh, may not excite many people, uh, but there's an old legend of a swan and a crane that relates to this. Uh, it goes like this. A beautiful swan alighted by the banks of the water in which a crane was wading about seeking snails. For a few moments, the crane viewed the swan in stupid wonder and then inquired, Where do you come from? I come from heaven, replied the swan. And where is heaven? asked the crane. Heaven, said the swan. Heaven? Have you never heard of heaven? And the beautiful bird went on to describe the grandeur of the eternal city. She told of streets of gold and the gates and walls made of precious stones, of the river of life, pure as crystal, upon whose banks is the tree, whose leaves shall be for the healing of the nations. In eloquent terms, the swan sought to describe the hosts who lived in the other world, but without arousing the slightest interest on the part of the crane. Finally, the crane asked, Are there any snails there? Snails, replied the swan. No, of course there are not. Then said the crane, as it continued its search along the slimy banks of the pool, You can have your heaven. I want snails. And you know what? That's a perfect rendition of, of just how people are today. We get so caught up in today's world, we don't spend enough time looking up. We don't spend enough time looking forward. We don't spend enough time looking to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's It, it really, in essence, it's not about the streets of gold. It, it's not about the walls of Jasper. It's not about the foundations of the different colors and, and, and all of this stuff. But what is important is that we'll be there with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. And we need to stay focused on that. Don't, don't lose sight of that. I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, these other things are, are extras, if you will, uh, for lack of a better terminology for it. Okay, let's go on to the next phrase here. It says, For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now, it is interesting to note John's tone as he writes this down for us in that he makes no mention of being amazed or beguiled by what he has seen like he does in Revelation 17, 6. Uh, yeah, verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6, where he says, And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Nor does he need anything explained to him. Uh, as in Revelation 17, verses 7 through 18, which was the mystery of the woman and the beast that was explained by the angel. Now, on the noted absence of a temple of worship, J. Hampton Keithley III says, and I quote, This verse stands in stark contrast to the rest of Scripture. In the Old Testament, there was the need of the tabernacle and the temple and their shadows of things eternal. 
things which spoke not only of the Lamb as the access into God's presence, but of the eternal holy dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and temple, which were spoke of the very that which spoke of the very dwelling place of God was the Holy of Holies, the Naos, as it was. In the church age, the believer himself becomes the temple, the Naos. I've got to correct this. Uh, the Naos of the Holy Spirit, First uh, Corinthians six nineteen. Uh, which says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? But this indwelling of the Spirit is only an arabon, a down payment, a partial experience of things to come. Ephesians 1.14 says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The word temple here uh, in verse 22 is naos. In the eternal state, there will be no need of some special temple, some special sanctuary, because believers, the saved of all ages, will be in the absolute, undiminished, and intimate presence of the Almighty Sovereign God and the Lamb. The Father and Son themselves are the temple in that men will be living in the midst of the unveiled glory of God. Lamb is used of Jesus Christ to stress the fact that we are there because of his work as the Lamb of God. Almighty is used to stress that our being there is a result of his all-powerful and sovereign plan of grace, which has perfectly provided for our salvation. End quote. Now, talking about this phrase, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple in it, it brings the revelation of Ezekiel's prophecy at the conclusion of his vision of the temple. In chapter 48 and verse 35, he says, It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. The Lord is there. <laughs> the Lord is there. <laughs> How great is that? The Lord is there. All right. Now, know what John MacArthur said while preaching on this passage. And this is a quote from his sermon. As Yeah. Uh, and I quote, So, there wouldn't be any need to go to a church. There wouldn't be any need to go to a cathedral or go to a place of worship. Worship will be life. That's all we'll do. We'll worship, worship, worship. And that's all we'll do all of life. Never a moment when we're not. Listen to this. Never a moment we're, when we're not worshiping. Never a moment when we're not in perfect holy communion with the perfect holy almighty God and the Lamb. Never a moment when we are not engaged in rapturous, joyous worship and service to Him. Never a moment when those things are not reality. We will be the true worshipers that the Father has always sought. Our worship will be pure and true and perfect. We will be worshiping in perfect spirit, and in perfect truth in his eternal presence. And I think it's interesting that there that's the first thing that John noted because it was important to him. It was priority to him. After all, he was the one that wrote about God seeking true worshipers. He was the one who was so concerned about God being worshipped. 
And he was the one who had been taken through all of these tremendous visions in the book of Revelation and been instructed about how important worship was and what happened to people who didn't. And he had seen glimpses of heaven where worship was the constant occupation. And so naturally, the first thing he would look for when he was taken to the inside of the capital city of heaven would be to see if there was a place of worship there. And the answer is, there isn't any. It's not necessary because there won't be anything but worship. There wouldn't be any need to go somewhere and worship. End quote. So there we see uh, he's telling us that there's not going to be a temple. And let's see, we're... Okay, I see. All right, so let's go on to the second point. I think we have enough time there. Uh, no sun. Now, this is an interesting one here. Verse 23, the first part, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the mood, to shine in it. Now, it is important to note that small phrase there that says, No need. No need. And this is another example of how we may draw an unnecessary conclusion of what is actually being said. Many of us have probably thought, and, and my, I myself included, uh, have quite possibly even said that there will be no sun or moon there. But that is not what is written. The phrase is saying there is no need. It is not saying that there is no sun or moon. Now, having noticed this phrase, now let's ask, is the sun and moon important in that new creation? What would be their roles? Now, first of all, we want to take a look at something uh, called a promise. And then we'll look at a witness. And then we'll look at marking seasons as for the potential reasons for the sun and the moon being there. Okay? So, first of all, uh, let me see, because I've got to, again, I'm highlighting and editing on the fly. So, <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now. First of all, the promise. Uh, Psalms chapter 148, verses 3 through 6. It says, Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. The waters above the heavens. Now, you know why there's waters above the heavens, right? That was the great flood when God blew it right out of the center of the earth and it blew that water up into the atmosphere. There was a water vapor around the earth to begin with. All that water on Mars and the rocks on Mars that come from Earth, where do you think they come from? From that point right there. All right, let's continue on. Verse 5. Uh, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. So one reason they may be there is because there was a promise that God established them, and they'll be there forever and ever. Um, I mean, if you want to define it, how do you define how long forever and ever will be, <laughs> right? Uh, Tony Garland, in his commentary, he says, and I quote, neither the sun nor the moon will ever really be destroyed. Of course, since God has promised that they, as well as all the starry heavens, will endure forever. And in his Talking about Psalms 148, verse 3 through 6 there. That's why I just read it. Uh, he goes on, he says, It is just that their light is no longer needed, 
to illuminate the holy city, for the city itself radiates light to all the surrounding regions. <coughs> Excuse me. However, the sun and moon will continue to serve their present functions with respect to the nether regions of the earth, serving there as lights by day and night, respectively. I, end quote. I don't know if that's true, okay? That, that, to me, it is a reach because I've just heard so long in my life that there's not going to be a sun or a moon. Uh, so it's kind of hard to grasp that, but technically, when you read it, I mean... That's just what it says. There's no need of it. And the fact that he says there's no need kind of indicates that they are actually there. Why would he say there's no need of them? I, I don't, you know, it's just one of them things you could really work on for a long time. Now, it is possible, but in respect to verse 24, which says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Now, this is talking about Revelation, okay? Chapter 21, verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Now, I would tend to believe that the light from the city is more than enough to illuminate everything that needs light to see. Okay? Uh, where Tony Garland says that, that, you know, the sun will actually light up the earth. I, I don't think there's going to be any need of that. Uh, there's not going to be any uh, sin present on the earth as it is either. So, uh, I believe the light's going to be... the the light from the Son of God is going to be just strong enough to, or from the Father. Uh, the, it's, good, it's just going to be enough, more than enough. Now, life can continue without the sun and moon. It is important to note that in the original creation, God created the light on the very first day in Genesis 1-3, where it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. But the sun and moon were not created until the fourth day. That's in verses uh, 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light, talking about the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, being the moon, to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now on this subject, Theophilus of Antioch wrote, and I quote, On the fourth day the luminaries were made because God, who possesses foreknowledge, knew the follies of the vain philosophers that they were going to say that the things which grow on the earth are produced from the heavenly bodies, so as to exclude God. In order, therefore, that the truth might be obvious, the plants and seeds were produced prior to the heavenly bodies, for what is posterior cannot produce that which is prior. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. Now, I don't know, because I literally think these were days, 24-hour periods of creation, the fourth day was a 24-hour period. It was not an age. It was not an era. It was not a, a millennium. It was not an eon. It was not millions of years. No. And and you say, well, what makes you say that? Well, because if he had created the sun and the moon in just the fourth day alone, every day after that, it says, and God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day, sixth day, whatever. If that, those space of time were the same, 
and as it's written in verses uh, first day and second day and third day, there's no difference there. A day is a day. Just because the sun and the moon were not in the first three doesn't mean that they were eons of time. That that's that's creating uh, that that gap theory that's that many creationists have injected into this uh, to make room for what these evolutionists and all of these naysayers are about. All these dinosaurs are millions of years old. These rocks are millions of years old. I, it, it, listen, the Bible makes it clear. There was no death, no death, before Adam and Eve sinned. So, in other words, there were no millions of years where dinosaurs were dying out, birds were dying out, fish were dying out, and creating all these fossils for all of that stuff. That didn't happen. That was in the Great Flood. And I'm telling you, there's some great videos on that online. Uh, a guy by the name of Kent, K-E-N-T, Hovind, H-O-V-I-N-D. Man, his creation series is, is great. And he's got this uh, challenge. <laughs> he's got this challenge. And I think, if I remember right, it's been over, it's definitely been over 20 years or so. Uh, he's put up, I think it's $10,000. $100,000? What does it matter? I'll say $10,000. For any evolutionist to prove their theory is correct. And it's been all this time and nobody's claimed it yet. You know why? Because you can't stand against the Word of God. The Word of God is clear. It's precise. It's true. Okay. All right. Chase that rabbit. All right. Let's go to the second point here about the reason for the sun and the moon. Um, the second thing is a witness. The first was a promise. The second is a witness. Uh, they're witnesses of eternal promises. Look at Psalms uh, chapter 89, verses 35 through 37. It says, once, I, once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. And his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. So here he's talking about David's throne and his seed are going to last as long as the sun does and as long as the moon does. And they're going to be faithful witnesses for him in heaven. Now, why would he say that if the sun and the moon are still not going to be there? Another reference, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 through 37. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. All right. Now, while these passages tie God's faithfulness and promises regarding Israel and the Davidic throne to the continuance of the sun and moon, it is difficult to determine if these promises are meant to extend through the tribulation period or even the millennial kingdom. It is possible that these promises will no longer matter once Israel's promises have been fulfilled and the Lamb's throne is merged with the Father's throne in Revelation 22, 3, where it says, But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Who knows? But, but it is suggestive 
Okay, it is suggestive. It's it's an interesting mark. Okay, all right. So a promise, a witness. Third, marking seasons. Marking seasons. Now another thought is brought up in Revelation twenty-two and verse two. If you want to jump over and read that, it says, "In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month." And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, the use of every month indicates at least some kind of seasonal marker. Now, when I say seasonal marker, I'm not going to say that there's going to be spring and winter and fall and all that there. I, I don't know. We're not told that. It just says every month. Like, okay, who cares if it's a month? But the fact that it's 12 manner of fruit, and it yields there, it, it kind of lends to the essence of there being 12 different fruit at 12 different times. And each one of those is a period of time. So it calls it a month, I, you know, all right. Still, this can only imply the possibility of the presence of the moon, which in turn would suggest the presence of the sun since the moon merely reflects the light of the sun. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm using a new recording program and I don't know how long it goes. So, uh, we'll, I'll tell you what, we're about 29 and a half minutes. I better stop because I don't know how long it goes. And we'll uh, finish up this thought in the next podcast. How about that? Okay. Well, uh, thank you for listening and listen. It's been a busy couple of weeks. We've, been out of town several times uh, and, and traveling and all that. So I'm just kind of getting back in the routine of things. So I'm glad to be back. And I, I certainly hope you've been looking forward to this. And uh, pray for me. Pray for each other. And God bless you. And have a great day.